Hi, everyone, and welcome to Tabletop Theory. My name's Joe, and I'm so glad you're here with me today. My guest is Marianne Cullinan. She is the 2018 Sanford Award winner for Inspirational Teaching, a semifinalist for New Hampshire Teacher of the Year in 2019, a PhD student in education at Lesley University, middle school teacher, mom of three, RPG enthusiast, and she is currently researching gamification and the use of role-playing games in middle schools. And fun fact, she's also going to be on a panel with me at PAX West in a few weeks. Thank you so so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. Hello. So, um, I know that there's like a lot that I wanted to talk about, but one of the things that um, I know is sort of your specialty that um, we've talked about over the last few weeks getting ready for this panel is um, obviously from the intro, using RPGs in classrooms. So how did that start? So it started in a couple ways at once. So I teach middle school and if you remember back to when you were in middle school, it is both terrifying and very boring. Absolutely. And <laughs> right. And kids are still really creative and really want to do imagination things, but they can't mm. really play with toys anymore. So I find that kids are at that age group are just really ripe to do anything with simulations, theater, improv, if it's a little competitive, they love that, right? And they like their developmental work is to make groups apart from their families. That's right, like the school. whole niche thing, like right. finding your organizations. Exactly. Find your people, right? Yeah. And, and try out different groups to figure out who your people are. Yeah. So that's sort of the background. And I had been doing role-playing games and simulations in my class, but I didn't think to call it that. But okay. I had a group of students who really needed someone to let them play Dungeons and Dragons in their classroom. And at the time, you know, I'm a girl of the 90s. Like, girls didn't play D&D. Like, you got to date the people who played D&D, but you were not allowed at the table in uh, New Hampshire. It's, Rural it's, New Hampshire in the 90s. No, I know what you mean. It's It's one of those stereotypes that unfortunately is like true in a lot of cases from back right. in the day. I started playing in the eighties and like, it, it hurts me to remember how closed off the hobby used to be. And yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Sorry. I interrupted. Oh no. So I was like, sure you can do that. And I didn't really pay attention, although it seemed neat. And, but those same kids were really interested in Greek mythology. And okay. I had taught Greek mythology before and where it broke down, these are all enrichment courses that I teach. And so kids are choosing to be there. But the okay, so they're like electives. Yeah. And okay. the breakdown became, how do I get the kids to really want to read the myths on their own free time? Basically, you know, giving themselves homework. Yeah. And then have a closer connection with the material, not just let's get through this as quick as we can. Right. right, because they loved the ideas, they loved the characters, but the actual reading was the work. So looking at that group of kids who really love games, I started to think about, well, how could I gamify the reading? Okay. How can I make it matter? Because middle schoolers really care about the why. And it really doesn't matter what the why is, they just need some reason to do it. So when you say care about the why, you mean like they need to have their own reasons to figure out that are what they're reading and what they're trying to be interested in that's specific to them. So it's not like what you mean by like what the teacher says is the why? Am I so, I mean, if you're a middle schooler, mm -hmm. like why do I care about Greek mythology? Got it. 
right? Uh, like these people lived a long time ago. They're all dead now. Why should it matter? Why does it matter to me? And so if I say, well, because you're going to come again, up against the guardian of the Glen. And the guardian of the Glen is going to test you on your knowledge of all of these myths that have the same theme of hubris. You, and if you know enough about them and can talk about the themes, then you will get one of the medallions. And when you have three medallions, you can unlock this snake and then you can battle the snake, right? Then they're like, okay, I'm in. I'm in for the medallion. I'm in for the story. Right. And so that's what gamification in middle school is all about is creating that storyline and that why, why do I care? And um, they love to imagine, they love to be the heroes, they love to be the bad guys. And so giving them the opportunity to do that, even if it's manufactured, allows access to that sort of like, I'm part of a group, I'm doing something important, I'm playing, it's fun, where really a lot of times it's the same work it's just now fun yeah it's a different format it allows for like you were saying that sort of creative expression to help do things like problem solving and critical thinking but at the same time you're also learning about things like theseus and like right. all of the different aspects that make up the different greek pantheon versus the roman pantheon and whatever and, you want to apply it to and here's the secret about teaching Nobody really needs to know anything anymore, which is, okay. I, I know, but because of the internet and because of modern society, it's way more important to learn how to think than to know facts. That is a really interesting idea. And I completely agree with it because right, it, with yeah. so much information at our fingertips, it's exactly. the idea of how do you process it? Not necessarily what are you processing? It literally doesn't matter. That's fascinating. Is. Right? I mean, in in 10 years, they're going to be at some party and they're going to be like, oh yeah, there was that guy, Theseus. Uh, was he <laughs> the one with the minotaur or was he the one with that lady with the snakes? And then they're going to Google it. Right. Right? But they got to that party, that industry party, because they know how to network. They know how to have conversations. They know how to be a creative thinker, a team builder. They know how to do public speaking. Yeah. They, you know, so that's the vehicle is more important than the content at this point in most, it, I would, I would say in most um, education that at, is such at the a middle school level. Fascinating fundamental shift it is. in education that I, I feel embarrassed that I hadn't even considered up until you brought it up. That is yeah. amazing. That is just thinking about the method in which we've like people our age have been instructed up to a certain point and to think about 10 years from now how that's going to have to be changed because recall as a skill like fact recall is something that you're absolutely right is going to completely change in the next 10 years because of the access that people have to things like the internet but now okay let me throw you a curveball a little bit since this is going down a really interesting road. How do you see that applying to people in situations that may not have access to the internet? Well, first of all, I'm not sure how realistic that is Fair for enough. most of the time, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not saying no one should ever learn anything. There are certain things you need to know. Sure. Basic, basic facts fundamentals. about science, basic understanding of math concepts, 
mm-hmm. basic reading and writing skills, right? But most of the time, the things that you need to be a successful person in your life are less absolute finite pieces of knowledge mm-hmm. and more skill sets and ways of being. Absolutely. And so that for me, I mean, that's it. Podcast over. Uh, <laughs> We're done I here, mean, folks. Thanks so yes. much for watching. Have a- <laughs> uh, but I mean, that's really it, right? And so the gamification, like I'm here for it and that's why I'm here to talk about it, but it's, it's not about the gamification. It's about being part of a group. It's about trying to make strategic decisions. It's about frustration tolerance. It's about planning. And middle schoolers don't have a developed prefrontal cortex. That's the part right in the front behind your you know, forehead. And it doesn't come online until you're about 20, which is frightening. Uh, yeah. But so they've got all the emotions, they've got all the brains, they've got all the ideas, but they don't have like the CEO in the corner, right? Or they they don't have the executive functioning skills, which are all your regulation and organization skills. Impulse control, absolutely, things like that. Yeah. But the other thing we know about middle schoolers is, all right, we're going to talk about brains now for a minute. Let's do it. When you're a child, you have... Every experience you have, you end up creating these neural pathways. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to about middle school age, you prune them down and you don't have them all anymore, the ones that you don't need. And that's why you can't remember when you were a baby or if you learned a language and you never speak it again, it goes away or whatever, right? Yeah, it's the use it or lose it principle. Exactly. And so, the, but the ones that you're using get myelinated which means they basically get like a coating around the outside that allows them to move faster and be stronger. And so we have this opportunity at this age, use it or lose it. I can help them develop pathways in their life that will keep serving them well forever. And it's not about if I'm a halfling rogue. It's about have I figured out a creative way to handle this problem? Have I figured out how to work as a group? Have I figured out what responsibility means? You know, all to me, um, have I figured out how to be frustrated and then move on? And, and yeah, empathy and taking perspective and all those things. And games give us the opportunity to do that it's in a way that doesn't of, feel like grownups preaching at you. Yeah, it's the idea of instances and exceptions, what you're describing with the idea of like, I remember at one point I was able to think critically through a puzzle or I was able to work with my peers to be able to overcome an issue or to resolve a conflict and those sort of um, things as you age, you can reflect back on those examples of past success to be like, I've done this before, I can do it again. And like you said, it's not the specific recall of the capital of Vermont, which I believe is Montpelier, but at the same time, it's that lack of necessity it's that lack of needing to know that specific fact as opposed to i know how to learn what i need to know exactly so this year i taught science for because of covid everybody was shifted around and i taught science for the first time in like 10 years and i was teaching eighth grade science and i was teaching about all the different you know like the kingdoms of life and all the different classes and like literally nobody cares what an earthworm's genus is. 
like, except for like, I don't know, earthworm scientists, right? But what's important is understanding why they have it, how it works, what a dichotomous key is, how do we identify things in nature? We put things together by like, there's a radial symmetry. And then, you know, like that's like starfish. Okay, starfish don't go with elephants because they're so different, right? And, and that's what's important because again, um, I think it's annelids, by the way, I could be wrong. It's Send completely over my head. I'm gonna absolutely trust Did you on that. <laughs> um, that's what's important is this idea that we can we can understand and categorize things by things they have in common right that's what's important and so this sort of went far afield from why do you do role-playing games but that's basically why well no i think it's 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 all applicable because the thing about rpgs in sort of this context of education or in the context that um i would use them in a professional way to like help students deal with anxiety or loneliness is that just what you said. It's that use of recalling how you were able to do something, not necessarily exactly what you were doing. Because um, I, I see that exactly what you're describing, especially with the prefrontal cortex and how something like a role-playing game that has like specified rules for interaction um, would be beneficial for something like dealing with students that may not have a lot of you know, express self-control at the moment that you're going through a lesson plan. But it makes total sense as to why you would want to use something like a role-playing game in a, in a context like that with middle schoolers because of just all the different boxes it checks. You know, you, you've got all the things that we were talking about with, um, you know, figuring out the different facts, but why you would figure out those facts in that specific situation. And so... I think you and I both are on the same page in terms of like, yes, this is beneficial. And these are all of the reasons why. But um, I know in my particular cases, I've come up with a couple of different challenges over the years that um, I've started to find different ways to overcome and work through. But I'm curious, what are some of the challenges um, you might have come up, you've come up against using this particular approach with your students? And what are some of the ways you've overcome them? So the first thing I want to just make clear is that for the classroom setting, for what my use, we do homebrew RPGs. I yeah. mean, we have used Quest and we've used elements of Mouse Guard and definitely, you know, D&D &D and things like that. But mm -hmm. I think the first thing is you, you can't just take whole hog somebody else's role-playing game and then put it into your classroom. I mean, maybe you can. If you can, you should let me know um, <laughs> how you do it. But well, I, I mean, think there's developers, I'm sure, that are working on stuff like that. Yeah, so but it's the know. elements. I mean, it's something I'm interested in, too, but it's it's the structures and elements that sort of yeah. allow for that. So I think the first thing, I'm lucky enough to, to be in a school where they more or less trust me to do what's right for kids. Sure. If I'm doing something kind of crazy, they're like, meh. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's her. Um, but we we know that kids need skills the 21st century skills to be successful, right? Mm -hmm. Except most of what we've been doing in the past years has been dictated by No Child Left Behind and a lot of testing. And so one of the biggest challenges is helping students see that there isn't a right answer that I'm looking for and that it's okay to make mistakes. 
And then it's just as funny to me and it's just as meaningful if they totally make a mistake versus getting it all right the first time and, yeah. and guess what the teacher is thinking. Oh, that's so important. Yeah. Mistakes are vital to growth of every kind. Right. And unfortunately, if if all of your funding and all of your future class choice and things like that are based on one test, you, you don't get to make that mistake. You have to be right the first time. And yeah. so we have a lot of students who are creative and interesting and take lots of interesting personal risks and like, you know, in dance and stuff. I don't mean just necessarily naughty ones, but like they, they put themselves out there in other settings. Yeah, elements of vulnerability. Yes, thank you. Um, are not able to do that in the classroom because they want to get it right. Mm -hmm. And so... I think that moving away from there's one right answer and I'm going to get a hundred and I'm always going to be right is one of the challenges that, yeah, wow. that we have to work through and it just takes time and a lot of practice and openly talking about that. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you mentioned, just the idea of needing to be right, um, it's so hard when you're dealing with something like a role-playing game because in so many cases, there's no such thing as a right answer for every situation because everybody's way to play is always going to be a little bit different because everybody's character is so different. Just yeah. like everybody's game master style is so different. And um, like yeah, some of the most interesting things in the game happen when everybody gets killed or you right. try to do something and it's a terrible failure. Like that's right. part of the fun. That's where the... <laughs> camaraderie comes together yeah being able to overcome those failures or missteps right. or complications yeah absolutely and i think that for everyone but especially for middle schoolers they don't have practice being a good team and one of the mistakes we make as educators i mean we've all been in that group project that we hate because the group is not working together but there's very little direct instruction on how to be a team. And so one of the things that we do in my class and I sort of fold it into our gameplay is having table norms and- Brilliant. Right, and so one of them is we're all here to have fun, so let's work together. And yeah. so when it gets heated, we're like, remember, we're all here to have fun or actions have consequences. And right. so if you're being you know, a complete tool and the rest of the group is not interested in that. And I'm like, hmm, well, you did just, you know, your PC did just kill somebody else in the party. Right. So that, why are they frustrated? Hmm, what that character, I wonder why, you know, or, um, so those are some of them. We also, in our after school club, we have one, which is good leaders need good followers and good followers need good leaders. Um, and that's a, a club that's run by kids for kids. And so I will say good leaders need good followers to my classroom, meaning like, I can't do this without you. Right, yeah. If you want to do this, you have to do what I'm asking. I can't it's be a good leader if you're not being a good follower. And then other times, if I'm not prepared, or like the student DMs like, everyone's running around. And I'm like, why do you think that is? And they're like, well, I just need 10 minutes to figure out what's the next thing. And I'm like, hmm. And there we go. 
right? Like <laughs> your job as someone who chose to be a, a DM is to be prepared. So they're not going to be good followers for you if you're not prepared because they mm. need a good leader. So the idea of being prepared in that context, that's interesting. Um, one of the things I've brought up in some of the videos I've made is the idea of with a game master, you need to be prepared to be unprepared. Sure. And that's the idea that like, you're never going to know exactly what your players are going to do because people have free will clearly. But how do you approach something like that with middle schoolers? Because if, like you said, you have a student that's coming to you and saying, I just need 10 minutes to figure out what's going on. Um, what does that learning process look like of them trying to learn how to sort of compensate and adapt to other people's choices? Sure. So this is moving a little bit outside of the classroom to the after school club. Okay. Um, the context I'm talking about. The ones that are in the classroom are a little more teacher directed. Okay. Um, just because I have a I have content I have to get through. Right. Sure. So I have to I can't give them complete free reign. Um because yeah. they have to learn about no, that makes total sense about. yeah you've, you've got um, the milestones that you have to hit exactly right but when i'm teaching kids to be dungeon masters i try to say well what are the big signposts of the story right okay. like let's yeah. pull back and say what is the beginning middle and the end what right, where the are they strokes. going mm -hmm. right what what is the the last thing okay what are the ways they could get there Right. And so, yeah. and then if you have that, then it doesn't matter what everybody does. Right. Cause you can adapt because you've got the broad strokes of what right. you know needs to happen and what might be happening in the background. Right. And sure, that makes sense. And it takes practice. Absolutely. Um, we also pair student DMS so that if somebody feels stuck or needs a break, somebody else can take over. Mm hmm. So they're, you know, a set and they make up their story together. And that way, if somebody's absent or not feeling it or something happens. Yeah, that makes tons of sense. Um, no, yeah. I've always thought that the collaborative GM model was a neat idea. I've actually never done that, but it seems like something, especially for the sort of environment you're talking about, would make tons of sense, not just only for like the, all the logistical reasons, but also because you know, I, I, at least in my experience, kids of that age of about what, like the 11 to about 14 age yep. group. Yes. Um, they're, they kind of come up with these really amazing stories when they get to bounce them off of each other. Exactly. And so for our after school group, well, I'll talk about that and I'll tell you about something else. So the okay. after school, I mean, all <laughs> of this is a little bit like messed up because of COVID. So oh we're my gosh, rebuilding yeah. this year. I was going to ask you about that later, but yeah, so please continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, but our after school club is called Heroes Hall and it had about 50 kids who would come regularly every Friday after school. And so we had sets of tables that had about, you know, six kids at each. And I have a couple parent volunteers who would come in, which was fun, but they didn't have to. Um, it would still run. And there were pairs of student DMs and everybody was kind of doing their own thing. And part of what I was teaching the DMs is, look at your table. Do they need a break? What are the table norms? Like, is it okay for them to be on their phones? Is it not okay for them to be on their phones? Realistically, things like that. And then um, they would often meet with me at another time outside of that group to do the planning and I could talk through it with them. But a lot of it's just having that experience too and making that mistake or finding that breakthrough um, and we switched people around 
uh, which tables as we sort of figured out what they wanted from the game. Right, to find that would, fit. Yeah. So, you know, this one table that was all fifth grade boys who just wanted to destroy everything. Yep. Hack and slash the whole yeah. murder for everything is right. the answer. And that's okay. They um, were really good kids who spent all week doing everything they were supposed to be doing. And so they found it quite hilarious to be able to go through and just stick it to the man all the time. Right. <laughs> and then I sure. had another group that all they wanted to do was get pets, all pets all the time. You know, I mean, kids, especially boys at that age, I remember when I was that age, it's just your whole brain is awash with testosterone coming online mm -hmm. and you don't have the ability to control how you react to that hormone. It's just an absolute train wreck all the time. Yes. <laughs> it is and so that's that's really fun um and then we come together at the beginning of every friday and if somebody's finished their first campaign or like their first little arc um then we roll out this purple paper that we have and we get this chair and their dm comes and they everybody lines up and they they come forward and they get sort of like knighted with this dragon and then they get their that's own cool d20 to keep Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah, really cool. So, I love that whole ceremony aspect. Yes, that's rituals neat. and ceremonies are really important to middle schoolers. Yeah, so. definitely. And that yeah. sort of would help to build group cohesion, help right. to give the students an opportunity to be like, oh, I want that. It's a sort of goal setting that they right. get to see something with like a like a concrete outcome. That's really neat. I love and that idea. One time there were two characters getting married. So they went and found some wedding dresses and our costumes. And then we got like, they got fake married in like on the purple paper you know it's wow but middle schoolers like that yeah they like to be able to play act and have fun um and i want to back up and say a little bit which is how i started actually playing role-playing games yeah was please. maybe like five years ago now i went down to pax unplugged and i saw a panel called hand her a sword which was about playing role-playing games as a girl and like why girls should do it with other girls. And I was like, I can do that. That sounds fun. I could do that. So I drove home and I went o'clock around. I'm like, you look like a girl. You want to play D&D? And they're like, all right. You know, middle schoolers are pretty much up for anything if you ask them uh, at the right time. And I'm like, you remember that show Stranger Things? You know what they're doing? Let's do that. And they're like, okay. So that is the Sleigh Queens. And the Sleigh Queens are... Love that name. Mm -hmm, they <laughs> self-named. And it has expanded to be sort of more people who present femme or are interested in playing girls. It's sort of girl-centric. Sure. Um, but we definitely are not just girls anymore. Um, but that was sort of became a kind of like social skills friendship unofficial group and they would meet at yeah. lunch and they became a big group of friends and but then some of my other students were like well what about us why can't we play dnd i'm like of course you can play dnd or whatever you know and so yeah. we ended up starting heroes hall and now we have we have 250 kids in the school and we have about 50 kids every friday wow. which is a lot yeah, that's and a super, lot. Super pissed off the bas girls' basketball coach. When like <laughs> half the team was like, um, 
We're having a ceremony at D&D Club today. I'm going to be late to practice. <laughs> oh, my God. That's why they're upset. That's brilliant. Yeah. Sorry, not to, like, throw shade on anybody playing basketball, but that's not exactly what I thought you were going to say why they're upset. I thought it was going to be like, oh, they're upset because we're using their space. It's like, no, we're upset because we're going to be late because we're playing Dungeons right, & Dragons. Right, because we important. stole your children. Um, <laughs> I so, love that. So that's really fun, and it's been really neat. You know, in COVID, one of the things um, that I taught my sixth graders how to play Quest um, this year, and we sort of used a modified version of Quest uh, to, at the end of the year, their curriculum is about climate and um geology really so we spent a lot of time with world building and where is your character from and what is the climate there and let's build a house that was made out of their you know like the elements that they would have at their disposal and what yeah. are the kind of magical things that they might get from the environment right and and so they were so much more willing to review climate or like mm -hmm. what what is the house made out of what rocks do you have why how do you know there'd be sedimentary rocks there you know yeah really specific geological world building wow right. that's amazing and that's <clears throat> i mean really like the rock cycle is really boring <laughs> like <laughs> like it's cool you're like cool that's cool yeah all right i get that and then you have to learn about it for six more weeks <laughs> it's like right you either are a like rocks kid or you are not yes. a rocks kid. Yeah, they're either the most important thing that you're going to be focusing on for a while because of various reasons. They're, you know, the different shapes, colors, strata, or that's where dinosaurs are. Or it's uh, just like, cool, rocks, got it. Moving on. So in New Hampshire, mm -hmm. we have two kinds of metamorphic rock. We have nice and we have schist. Okay. And those are, in fact, the two best kinds of rocks there are because then you could walk around the schoolyard and yell nice or yell schist <laughs> and you're right because it's science that's amazing and they want that. my sixth graders really wanted to write to the governor and because we're the granite state mm -hmm. and see if we could change our state motto to don't take our nice schist for granite oh my god that's brilliant i, I love know, that so good <laughs> That's so that's so great. Yeah, sorry, Lou, free or die. We, yeah, we're, we're done yeah. with you. No, we're um, done with that. Oh my God, that's amazing. And then with fifth grade, <laughs> I used a lasers and feelings kind of hack. Um, okay. Which it's basically like you get it or you don't get it with D6s. And they, on Fridays, we only had half days. And so we used fridays as like a team building day mm -hmm. and although that takes up a significant portion of class time because they were able to work together so effectively we actually didn't lose any time in content because we were able to get through content so much more quickly wow that's amazing yeah and i mean that's the whole thing right with middle schoolers is they need to learn how to work together and they can't get it from the air you have right to it has to have them. some kind of formula right. that they get to adhere yeah. to in order to like practice that that makes tons of sense and it was super interesting like fifth and sixth graders love lines and veils they love x cards yeah. and we started they started using the x card 
term out of gameplay where when someone was making somebody else comfortable, uncomfortable, they'd be like, bah! right? That's so interesting. I love that. Yeah. And because you can do it a little tongue in cheek, because you can go, bah! It, <laughs> then people do that because they are not going to say, dearest Joseph, you are making me slightly uncomfortable in your <laughs> ongoing saying of schist. 85 times while I'm trying to read, right? But they can look at someone else yeah. and go, bah! Oh, yeah. they do it. You so, can make a fun noise, throw your hands up. Right. Yeah, that's, that's all middle school all day. That's wonderful. But it's also so great because it it's, helps to sort of normalize that sense of explaining where your boundaries are. Right. And, and sort of introducing that early and just helping students to feel comfortable with the idea of saying, that makes me uncomfortable. Right. That's so wonderful. I love that. Yeah, and it was it's really great. Um, in eighth grade, we basically did a modified kind of mouse guard hack. Uh, mouse guard, if you don't, I don't know if you've read Redwall or if you've ever read Mouse Guard, it's like anthropomorphic mice who are also kind of like rangers in the sort of like Tolkien ranger kind of deal. Sounds, sounds very much like... Um... Oh gosh, you've already said it. It's escaped me. I read those Redwall? books when I was a kid. Yeah, Redwall. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. It's the actual graphic novels, first of all, are wonderful. And second of all, are much darker than Redwall. But it's the same kind of idea. And I so remember we Red had Guard some... being pretty dark when I was in middle school, but like, yeah. wow, that's cool. Yeah. And um so we had something called the Explore Core. And they were because eighth grade's curriculum is all about biology. And mostly about like what makes a fungus a fungus and what makes a plant a plant, right? And so, so when it was time, you know, we wouldn't play it every day, but when it was time to do like a big assessment or something, uh, one of the assessments was, okay, somebody bangs on the door and says, you gotta come help near a mouse. And they got to plant, like decide all sorts of things about their mouse. And there's this giant pile of mushrooms that have been foraged by the forager mice, but they all left because there's a storm coming and there's this giant chicken of the woods, which is a kind of mushroom that will feed the entire colony for a long time in the winter. So they ran off to get it and there's this big pile of mushrooms, but all the babies are crying because they're hungry. So you have to sort the mushrooms into edible, medicinal and weapon interesting and then the chef's going to take whatever mushrooms you said were edible and feed them to the children so that's not only talking about identification and factory call but it's about responsibility right and, oh wow and so brilliant. they their tool was they got to use a dichotomous key that i created for them which uh, dichotomous keys are basically like those yes no um flow charts yeah i was gonna say it's almost like a flow chart if yeah. this then this and it's a that's what biologists use to identify something you know does it have hair yes does it have legs yes you know that mm -hmm. kind of thing yeah and so but the questions were like is it poured is it gilled is it toothed did you find it on the floor uh, forest floor is it on a tree mm -hmm. you know things like that and then if you could follow the dichotomous key and you knew what the features of the mushroom were, you would know how to identify it. And then you could figure out, like, don't give the avenging angel to the babies. They'll all die. Yeah, that's that's super dangerous. Don't do that. 
And but... so most of the babies lived. We did have okay. one group that killed all the babies. All they were right. mortified. Oh, no. <laughs> so, but it was also hilarious because they weren't real babies. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like Good we news. said, learning from mistakes, right? You know, sometimes you feed a village, sometimes you kill everybody. It's, right. You know... <laughs> but, but that's the whole thing is when you have a role-playing game, it allows you to make mistakes socially that you can fix or we can all laugh about and you can move on right and so it kids were so much more invested in getting this assessment right because i at the end i was going to be i was going to reveal if the babies died or not then if i just been like here's a test about mushrooms like who cares right i mean it, it, there's stakes with a test and there's stakes with a game but what those stakes are and why they matter, I would imagine, really depends on where you're at in life, right? right? Because if you're in middle school, stakes on a test are like, yeah, okay, whatever. It's numbers on a piece of paper. I mean, for some students, I'm sure it's very important. It but, is, right. But for others, the idea of the stakes in the game, because it's all built up in your imagination, right. is a lot more close to home, I would imagine. Well, and the kids who care about the test can still care about the test when it, you're feeding babies. That's a really right? good point. It, yeah. So you're just cap. You're casting a wider net. Mm -hmm. So, um, or later we had an activity where Findle, who is a friend of all the PCs, um, sends a letter back and says, "There's this really cute other mouse. Cause this is eighth grade, and they <laughs> think a lot about these things. There was this really cute guy, and I told him I knew everything about sea creatures, but I was just." trying to impress him and then he told his mentor and now he and i and the mentor are on the seacoast identifying animals like right. can you please send me something about help me <laughs> you know that and and then like will it kill me as a mouse or like will it eat me you know how do i handle it how how do i keep it alive how big is it compared to me yeah. And those are things that make them care so much more about, like, the difference between a sea sponge and a jellyfish. Definitely. I mean, so. that, make, that makes a ton of sense. And, and I love the idea of that being a quest as opposed to something that's generic and kind of played out and pretty much overtly sexist, like a rescue mission that you would right. have from back in the day. That's, that's a lot more fun. I love that idea. That's brilliant. And then the other thing, you know, so... So when you use a role-playing game in a classroom, sometimes, you know, you could argue, like, is that a game? Maybe. Sometimes it has game elements, you know, where you can win or lose. And sometimes it's just role-play to sort of keep it interesting. But, I, you know, we in seventh grade was probably the one I did the least role-playing games with just because they had chemistry and was really hands-on. Right. Yeah. So they didn't really need that because they were enjoying blowing things up. But who doesn't love chemistry? Right? <laughs> we we were well, but again, I was teaching them about chemical reactions, so we made little rockets and it was like, okay, you have the next week to figure out how much baking soda and how much vinegar you need to be able to shoot your rocket to land on the moon, which was a hula hoop further away. And then in one week all the representatives of NASA are coming and they're going to take <laughs> the most accurate group and 
and give them a special prize and hire them. That's and awesome. So everybody's like, okay. And then I get some other teachers to come and pretend to be from NASA and give them like a little snack or something. Well, you're still hitting the same check mark though of like right. imagined stakes and letting the right. students sort of like, yeah, we we know it's not real, but we can get behind it in our imaginations and really yeah. sort of get with or, that and use it as motivation. That's brilliant. So the first thing we did was seventh grade. My seventh grade um, was very concrete and really a lot of them had a lot of school anxiety and, and a history of poor performance in school and it's COVID and it was tough. Um, but one of the first things we did was when everybody got assigned an element and then they had to make like the element model and stuff, you know, like everybody does that. That's a rite of passage in middle school. Then they used um, one of those like little make a picture, like those little pick crews um, apps that people have to design a high schooler who went to elemental high, who was based off of the properties of their element. And they'd come up with what their name was and, um, so that was really fun. And like, what did they look like? Right. And then they were also, a, that was them during the day. And then they were a superhero at night and their superpowers had to do with, the, with again, the properties of the element. So, so it's still character creation. It's still fundamentally right. taking something from a role-playing game. That's But it's also like, who cares what the properties of oxygen are? If you are like, you breathe oxygen, that's cool. But like, Right, and, and then you think about it like, okay, how can I turn this into a superhero? What are the actual properties? That that person yeah. called their character Oliver Air, which was <laughs> awesome. That That's kid reads on a second grade level. Wow. And yeah, and he was re really able to like access thinking about it, you know? Yeah. That's that's wonderful. It's just there's so many ways that you can take just little chunks of how a role playing game functions right. and modify them to work in a classroom setting. So I did want to ask. Um, we, I've definitely have a couple of people that work in education as teachers for different age groups. Um, that they, they've sort of been like talking to me about like how role playing games work, at least in a university setting. So in your experience, do you have something that you would say is a good way for people in education to start doing this? Is there anything you'd recommend to people doing something like that? Sure. Um, I mean, I think it, it depends, but most people like to play pretend mm -hmm. in some way if the stakes are low. Sure. Yeah. Right. So you can even start there. And it's just this idea of, okay, we're all going to put on safety goggles now, and now we're scientists. Right. And we're going to think like scientists. Right? Yeah. Or um, when I taught third grade, we had, we were trying to think about ourselves as the pioneers of Antrim, New Hampshire, which is where I live. Right? What would it be like? And we walk out into the woods and we're like, okay, what if this was your house? Like, how do you start? <laughs> How do you start if you live in the woods, but you want to make a house? Right. Right. What's and your so, first step? So I think it's less about specifically what you do and more about sort of your positionality as a learner, right? Mm -hmm. How do you come across this and, and trying to help people have that empathy and think about, just think about things from a different perspective than their own. 
Right. Yeah. Sort of put yourself in somebody else's right. shoes. Empathy is exactly that. It's just yeah. looking at something from a from a point of view that, just like you said, it's not your own. So you can start to figure out how things could be different. Right. That's yeah. That's such an important skill that people, in my opinion, at least, definitely need to learn. Right. It's age. really <laughs> unfortunate right now um, how many adults don't have it, but. You know, and then yeah. also there's tons and tons of little like party games. Something like Scategories is really great. There's a game called Medium that I just played for the first time last I night. Where you're, oh my God, it's so fun. Where you both put down a word and try to think of the word that goes with both of those words. So like two of the people put down, one put down bee and one put down butter. And bee butter is what? It's honey. So they both said the word honey oh, out loud. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That sounds challenging oh my god it's fun. so hard <laughs> so, <laughs> especially when you're kind of a divergent thinker but you know those are the kinds of things if you can do in your classroom why couldn't you do that with social studies vocabulary yeah why yeah. couldn't you play taboo with math vocabulary i'm trying to get you to say exponent and i can't say any of these other words so i have to describe the concept right or the one where you like uh headbands where you're trying to get somebody to say the word that's on their head. Sure, yeah. Right, so you can start with those kinds of modified party games, mm -hmm. and that allows that, like, divergent thinking and making mistakes and team building and sort of sets the atmosphere for being yeah. able to do these things. And it go kind of goes back to what it sounds like your research is focusing on, trying to utilize gamification in sort of a, a specifically a middle school setting and what you're working on yeah yeah so i mean when you say gamification it sounds like you're not just describing role-playing games you're describing the use of games in general and um yeah so there's yeah. kind of a split right there's mm -hmm. a gamified classroom which is really everyone's in the game at like least an part of the time kind of thing yeah you know and that's that like role play or simulation mm -hmm. kind of thing where you come in and you're a character and there's things to do. Sure. And then there's using games in the classroom, which is I'm going to play, you know, Revolutionary War Spot It, or I'm going to do, use okay. headbands. And that's totally also awesome. But um, so there's kind of two different things. And some, I would think some practitioners of gamified classrooms would think of themselves as role players and some don't as much. Um, but the whole system, the sort of like logistical system of the classroom is set up like a game. Um, but I think that this is something that's relatively newly being talked about in education in any sort of meaningful way. And Twitter, there's a lot of people on Twitter who are talking to each other about it. And so that's what I'm really interested in first is figuring out, well, what does that actually mean? What does a gamified classroom mean? You know, there are some people who've sold some books about it, which is awesome. But, you know, like if I say I'm a person with a gamified classroom. What does it mean? What does that mean? Yeah. And so that's kind of the first question uh, because ultimately I would like to do a couple things, but one thing I would like to do is be able to look at published games and both role-playing and board games and think about how could I use these in the classroom? What would they be good for? 
Right. Right. And that brings us back to the original point of it's not the game is a vehicle. It shouldn't be the end at all. Right. right. It's not about succeeding in the game. It's about what you do along the way. Right. And it's also not about like how like slick the game looks or whatever. Right. Like student learning is always has to be the center. Yeah. And so I wouldn't say baseball is better than swimming, but if I'm trying to learn how to throw a ball, I'm not going to have somebody do swimming. I'm going to have them play baseball. Right. Sure. So, so part of it's about matching the tool with the need. And right, so, trying to determine the outcome. Yeah, so I'm interested in, first of all, like what is a gamified classroom and what are the elements of a gamified classroom that really matter mm -hmm. to student learning and success? Like what are the must-haves versus the nice-to-haves? Sure. And then are there things that are published now that hit those spots? Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, ultimately, I would love to create something, too. But there's a lot of games out there. And so I think the piece that's missing right now is that reflective piece of, okay, well, how do we know it's working? Right. And what does even working mean? So. Right. How do you determine success and an outcome for right. something like that? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you mentioned that it is sort of this new approach that people like yourself are starting to use and talk about. Um, I'm curious, have you found any sort of hesitation or I don't want to use the word resistance, but just sort of um, discomfort maybe with this new approach that you're using from anybody like parents or administrators or has any has sure. people been on board with it? Um, I am so lucky that pretty much everyone is usually on board because I'm established as it, I've been teaching for 18 years. And I've been in my district for 15 years. And so I'm lucky enough to have a supportive community that will give it a go most of the time. But yeah, sure. I mean, I also teach improv theater, which teaches so many of these same kinds of skills, but literally looks like kids screaming and rolling on the floor when you walk by. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes, right? Yeah. I mean, some of it is what... What does learning look like? Learning is not quiet. It That's such an be, important question. Right? But learning is usually messy. Mm -hmm. It's a, like a controlled chaos, kind of. I have a shirt that says chaos coordinator, and that's me. That That's what I like to Love think. that. You know, the classroom is noisy, not crazy noisy, but it's like bubbling. People are doing lots of different things. Yeah. But that's not how most of us grew up. You know, there's... It's true. I didn't make this up, but there's a saying about the sage on the side on the side. I don't know who made that up, but they were real smart. And... Sorry, the, the internet cut out for a second. You said the sage on the stage and the what? Guide on the side. Okay. So which teacher are you, right? Right. Are you the one who stands in front of the class and all knowledge comes from you? Because mm -hmm. the secret is you can't actually teach anyone anything. Right. They so have to learn it. it for themselves. Yeah, so the, here's here's my wisdom. It doesn't matter what anybody learns, and you can't teach anybody anything. There. Mm. <laughs> no, but, but truly, you have to learn things for yourself. And so it is my job to set up experiences that allow kids to access that and then help mm -hmm. coach them through it. Yeah. And if I just stand there and say, it's important to have empathy. And when you're frustrated, you should try again. Yeah. That's not useful, right? 
Yeah, especially when you have access to all of these other tools that you can use right. to get people engaged. You said that your classroom can look super chaotic, but at another perspective, that's engagement. That's right. students being involved in the learning process. And I think it's important when you're trying something new to understand why you're doing it, mm -hmm. what the benefits are, and where you can grow. And so when somebody comes in and is like, what's going on here? I'm like, well, and then I tell them and I'm not like, man, <laughs> you know, you have part of being an educator and a human being, but an educator is growing all the time. We're yeah. all iterations and iterations and iterations of things. Right. Mm -hmm. And I try something and it works. And then the next time it doesn't work or it works better because I have this experience. And so if there's some resistance, instead of being defensive about the resistance, I'm interested to know, well, what is the resistance? Right. Are it's that you... element of empathy. Right. And ultimately, I believe that most people who are involved with children care about the children they're involved with. And so it comes from a place of worry. Often. Yeah. Like, are they learning? Is this best for them? And if you can figure out what the resistance is, a lot of times there's an answer. And if there isn't, you should have thought of that and you can figure <laughs> out what the answer is. Right. Yeah. You can figure it out. And, but again, that all occurs through that trial and error, that right. element of how things get taught and learned and absorbed and, you know, practiced. Right. And I love that. And I think that's a wonderful place for us to start to come to uh, the end. But before we get to the final thought, I did want to say, where can people find you? How can people get a hold of you? Okay, so you can probably best get a hold of me on Twitter. Um, I have recently put together a professional Ooh. Twitter handle as well okay. as my personal one. I don't care, you can do both, which is Cauldron of Cully, which is Cauldron of C-U-L-L-I. Absolutely. And, and then, or you can find me at Calliope on Twitter, okay. which is C-U-L-L, -L, like my last name. Makes um, sense. And yeah, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Um, yeah, it's, I can't believe an hour has gone by. I could talk about this all day. I know. Yeah. This has been an amazing interview and I'm, and I'm so happy that we got to talk about this stuff. So now that we're here towards the final thought before we get there again, folks, if you're going to be in the Pacific Northwest at Labor Day weekend, come on by and see us at PAX West. We're going oh, to be yeah. talking about more of this stuff and it's oh going God, to be right, a ton be of fun. It's going to be great. But um, Marianne, do you wanna leave us with a final thought? Yeah, so I read this article for my PhD recently and it was super boring, but it had this wonderful nugget in it that I can't stop thinking about, which is we think of resiliency as a noun. It's like a thing you have or you don't have, but this article was arguing that it's actually a verb, it's what you do. You can perform resiliency without feeling it. You can perform non-resiliency while technically having it. Like it's what you do. It's not who you are. Yeah. And I, that's been blowing my mind recently. I love that. Practicing resiliency as opposed to having it. Right. And that's what we're asking kids to do all the time and ourselves, especially in this day and age. Yeah. And it's so important. And I'm so glad that we got to talk about that. And me too. Marianne, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And thank you all so much for watching and listening and 
take care, be kind, and have fun adventuring. That's right. Bye. Bye. Thank you.